So there's this quote you may have heard or heard a variation of, uh, and I've heard it before, and this past week I took the time to kind of chase it down. It actually goes all the way back to the 1600s, which is way earlier than I thought. But it's the quote, um, it's always darkest before the dawn. I've heard that in a variety of ways. It shows up in song lyrics, um, quotes in, in lots of different places. But the idea of this quote, which goes back centuries, is that seems, things seem like they might be at their worst right before they get better. Sometimes even the solutions to things seem like problems in our real experience. And, and when you look through history, you just see example after example of this, you know, you could look at the World Wars, World War II. I mean, right before the Allied victory over Germany and Japan, I mean, it was dark, it was bleak. Same thing with like the civil rights movement in this country. I mean, you know, there was all this progress being made, but you know, people are seeing mugshots of Martin Luther King Jr. and Rosa Parks and people like that on the news. It looked really dark, really bleak, and then there was a breakthrough. And of course, we see this in our personal lives too. We see these seasons where it seems really dark right before. There is a dawn. Students, I know that you've just kind of lived through this. You know all about this. You were just in the darkness of finals. And now you're basking in the warm glow in the dawn of Christmas vacation, which won't last forever. So enjoy it while it's there. But I think this idea we see play out in our personal lives. If you've ever been hurt by someone and tried to repair that relationship or work for reconciliation, you know, reconciliation is painful that process. It actually can make things feel worse to step into a process of reconciliation right before it gets better. Maybe you've walked through a season of long-term medical care where it just does not seem like it's working or there's any progress, and then there is. It seems dark, and then there's a dawn. Or maybe you're just meandering your way through a degree plan. Is this thing ever going to be done? And then all of a sudden, you're a semester away. I remember how that felt. Or you're doing interview after interview. Am I going to get a job? Is anything going to work out? And it can seem very dark. And then all of a sudden, there's an opportunity. Sometimes these experiences can feel hopeless, even though change is right around the corner. The last several weeks, if you've been with us, we've been looking at misfits in Jesus's family tree. uh, These women in Jesus's genealogy in the Gospel of Matthew who encountered very dark times in their lives. But they trusted God and he led them out of these dark seasons into a season of hope and light and life. In the history of God's people, for generations before Jesus could be, you could argue, a story of this. Of of people just wandering through a lot of darkness, wandering, waiting, hoping. When is God going to intervene in our lives and in the world? When is he going to change this broken world? Is it ever going to get better? I mean, the Old Testament is just full of these kinds of cries. But God was, in fact, working in those generations, working in people. But from their perspective, it felt like there was a lot of darkness. Occasionally, God would work in a powerful, visible way, and it would be like a flicker of light. But then it would flicker off, and there would be another dark season. People waited, and they hoped, and they clung to the promises God had made. One day, he's going to make it right. One day the darkness will be pushed away forever. You know, the prophet Isaiah wrote about this seven centuries before the life of Jesus. Um, God allowed him to see a glimpse of this, to see the day when God would intervene, when the light would stop flickering and it would just turn on. 
when Jesus would arrive and begin to extinguish the darkness once and for all. Isaiah 9.2, Isaiah the prophet said it this way, when he saw this day, he said, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. He was talking about the moment that Jesus arrived. And if you keep reading that passage in Isaiah, you get to the part that we read a little bit earlier in our, the worship par- portion of our service where he talks about that this light that dawns isn't just this light, a, a, a literal light. It's this person who will be born, this child who will rule forever in justice, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And when Jesus did arrive... And, and, and he surrounded himself with people who got to know who he was and heard him teach and saw his miracles. And then they saw him die and rise again. When they spoke about what Jesus had done and who he was, they spoke about it in these terms. Look in the Gospel of John. We read this earlier. John 1. In him, that's Christ, and Christ was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. It's the Christmas story. The true light is coming into the world. So we're going to talk for a few moments about Mary uh, and her experience, the mother of Jesus, someone who went through a dark time, a time of confusion, but she experienced firsthand how God's solutions might initially feel like a problem or a burden we're going to look at a few aspects of Mary's life and her experience. We're going to look at how God viewed Mary. We're going to look at how Mary felt about what was happening to her and what Mary said about what was happening. And I think we're going to find hope and encouragement in her uh, example of courageous faith. So if you brought your Bible, uh, turn to Luke one twenty-eight. Luke one twenty-eight. If you're unfamiliar with the layout of Scripture, uh, the Gospel of Luke is the third book in the New Testament. We're going to read a passage there and then uh, draw out some application from it. Luke 1, verse 28. This is the scene when the angel Gabriel appears to Mary for the first time and tells her what is about to happen. And here's, here's what happens. Verse 28. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. 
So I want to talk about what we just read um, in kind of three sections. The first is God's view of Mary. So if you go back to the beginning of that passage, there's a couple of things that tell us how God views Mary. And we can see them right here. If you're taking notes, you can highlight. Uh, She's highly favored. It says, greetings, you who are highly favored. And then it also says that you have found favor. These are, this is what the angel is saying about Mary. Now, it's interesting. Both of these expressions, highly favored and having found favor, they come from the same family of words in the original Greek language that the New Testament was written in. And they are a word related to grace. It implies a favor that's undeserved. It implies a gift or a kindness from God that this person does not deserve. It is truly a gift. And so God has looked at Mary and decided that out of his love, he wants to give her this gift of grace, this unimaginable gift, this experience of giving birth to and raising the very son of God. She would stand, Mary would stand on that very boundary between the darkness and the dawn. So how did Mary feel about this? Well, she had some mixed feelings, I think. So let's go back and see some of the things that she felt. It says in verse 29, she was greatly troubled. She wondered. And it tells us that she was afraid. So let's talk about that for a second. Troubled. It says she was greatly troubled. Uh, That word in the original language has the connotation of being deeply disturbed because of confusion. She wonders what does this mean, this angel that's telling me this? I, I don't get it. She's, she's going over it in her head. She is just sort of blindsided by this. She's troubled. She's disturbed. And then the angel sees this and says, don't be afraid. He can see that she's afraid. And by the way, she doesn't even know the plan yet. He's just basically set up, hey, God, God wants to give you this great gift. You're highly favored. And she's just sort of overwhelmed. And then Gabriel tells her the plan. She's going to give birth to the Son of God. So how did she respond? We're going to look now at what Mary said. So the first thing she said was, how will this be? How will this be? It's an expression of of doubt. She's unsure. I don't understand how this can even work. The angel goes on to explain this. And then in spite of her fear and doubt and uncertainty, she shows what a courageous woman of deep faith she is by saying, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. So she states these things. I am the Lord's servant. It's a statement of submission. God is God. I am not. May your word to me be fulfilled. In other words, I hope this happens, she says. I hope this this is true. She's essentially saying, even though I know that this is going to upend my life, even though there will be questions about this pregnancy, rumors about me, I will be subjected to shame. I want this to happen if this is God's plan. You see, Mary didn't let her feelings rule her. The fear, the confusion, the wondering. She's saying, look, if this is God's plan, even if it causes me trouble, I am his servant. And I want this plan to come true if this is his plan. And then Mary goes on and she sings this amazing song about this whole experience. It's this worship song. And we're going to come back to that in just a few moments. But I want to just fast forward for a second to something happened months later when Jesus is born, when the angels appear to the shepherds. In Luke 2.11, we read this earlier. Uh, 2.11, it says this. The angels, remember, they appear to the shepherds. The shepherds are shocked to see this angelic host. And the, the angels say... Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. 
Now, you may not have caught that in that one verse, but there are three titles given to Jesus in that one verse. Here they are. Uh, Savior, Messiah, and Lord. And those are not synonyms. They mean different things. The angels are explaining the fullness of who this child would be. So let's talk about what, this, what these things mean for a second. So Messiah means essentially chosen, appointed by God. So this is telling us the origin of Jesus's mission. God has appointed him for this task. He's been chosen. It's a divine origin. Then Savior, this is his mission. The nature of his mission is to save. So he's been chosen by God for this mission. The nature of that mission is to save, to rescue. And then it says he's Lord. That's a statement of authority. It's saying that this child chosen by God, appointed for this mission to rescue us, has the power and the ability to fulfill this. This child chosen by God for this mission to save us is Lord of all. And so the shepherds hear this announcement from the angels and what they do is they run and they see Mary. And look, look what happens. Verse uh, 16 and 19 in chapter 2. You don't have to turn there. We'll put it up there. So they, this is the shepherds, they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they'd seen him, they spread, spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. So they told Mary and Joseph, hey, guess what the angels said about him? Messiah, Savior, Lord. They told that to Mary and Joseph. Verse 18, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. And then I want you to notice this last little comment right here in verse 19. It says, Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. All these things. I think that that stretches back all the way to when Gabriel appeared and began telling her what God's plan was going to be. And her whole experience since then, all the difficulty... And now this moment of the child being born and the, and the shepherds showing up and saying, do you really know the fullness of who this child is? Lord, Messiah, Savior. So she hears all of this and she treasures it up in her heart, it says. That word treasure in the original Greek language of the New Testament uh, is a word that meant to guard, to protect, to keep something safe. Mary wanted to remember this Remember this difficult season she'd been through and how God had brought light into her life and into our world and that he had used her as a part of that plan. She treasured this in her heart. And by the way, Mary made a habit of doing this, of treasuring things up in her heart, protecting them, keeping them safe. Uh, A little bit later, you guys may remember the story of Jesus when he was a, a young boy, wandered off from the family on a family trip to Jerusalem, and he was found dialoguing in the temple with the religious authorities, and the panicked Mary and Joseph finally find him, and here's what happens in verse 49 of Luke 2. Why were you searching for me, Jesus asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. Here it is. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature, and in favor, there's that word again, with God and man. Mary, she felt fear, confusion, wonder when she first heard that God uh, had favored her and was going to give her this unimaginable gift. She was confused, she was troubled, but there was a deep well of faith inside of her. 
And she trusted the Lord. She trusted the words of Gabriel. She said, I want this to come true. I don't really know exactly all the details of what this means for my life, but I want this to come true. Even if it brings uncertainty or condemnation or exile from my community, she was saying, here I am, Lord. If you want to use me as part of your plan, here I am. I'm available for your purposes. And when God's promise came true, when the light dawned, as Isaiah put it, It says Mary treasured up these things in her heart. She kept them safe. They became a source of hope and strength and guidance inside of her. Changed her life. And we can learn from her example. You know, I think sometimes we find ourselves, uh, if we've been uh, a person of faith for any amount of time, you know, we we can believe things about God, but there's a disconnect in our experience of him. So we can believe he's real, We can believe that God works in our world, works in our life. We can even maybe believe he loves us, that Jesus saves us. We can believe those things, and yet there can be a disconnect in our experience of his love, and we don't find ourselves treasuring the gospel, the good news of Jesus in the way that Mary was. Uh, I think we can take it for granted, or on some uh, unconscious level, we we don't believe it's all really going to happen the way God promised it would. And it can become routine to us sometimes. And so we don't treasure this. We don't let it shock us (laughs) what God did for us, did through Jesus. I mean, think about what the angels said to these shepherds. Jesus is the Messiah. He was chosen for this task, knowing all of our sins, everything dark about us, knowing that God chooses him for this rescue mission, says they are worth it. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior. His mission was to rescue us, to save us, to seek us out. Not to stand at a distance and say, clean up your act and then come talk to me when you're ready. No, no. He came after us. Savior. And then Lord, he has the right and he has the power to do this. Messiah, Savior, and Lord. Do you treasure this about God? That he did this. Do you keep this truth close? Is it in your heart? Does it serve as a spring of living hope inside of you? Or has it become routine in some way? Do you allow it to speak to you, to give you hope, shape your identity, who you are? Let me ask you this way. What would it look like for you to treasure the good news of Jesus in a new way this year as Mary did? to guard this, to protect it, to say this is the most fundamental, important thing in my life. And so if if God's asking me to do things, he's working in my life that are hard or I don't understand or I'm confused, you can stand like Mary and say, here I am, Lord. You are my Lord, I'm submissive to you. If you want this to happen, I'm here. What would that look like to treasure this story in a new way? You know, maybe you're uh, kind of new, new to church, or you're just exploring this, or you feel far from God tonight for one reason or another, or you're just not sure this is even real, and you're struggling with it. Maybe you're going through a dark time, and so all this talk of, of, of God loving us is hard to believe. I want to give you a metaphor to think about Christmas this year. Um, 
just to put a lens on it as you reflect tonight, tomorrow, as you're spending time with family, thinking about what this celebration is about. And that metaphor is exactly what Isaiah was saying, is, is the dawning of light. That's what Christmas represents. It's the dawning of a light in our lives and in our world. And it's not an abstract light. It's not an impersonal light. It is Jesus who is the light, who dawned and defeated and is defeating the darkness for you and for me and for his glory. You know, think about that metaphor of a light dawning. Because that's what Isaiah says this is about. What we're celebrating at Christmas is a light dawning in a dark world. Imagine this is the horizon. When the sun dawns, it goes from night and then there's light instantly. But there's still a lot of darkness right at the dawn, isn't there? It doesn't go from dawn to noon in a second. There's a lot of darkness still. And you know what? As that sun starts to come up, there's still a lot of shadows and they're long shadows. And maybe you feel like you're standing in one of those shadows. Or you've been in a season where you're like, is there light? Well, you know what? That sun is still rising. That light, the dawn, is still rising and growing. And Jesus, in our lives and in our world, it is still rising. You can trust that. And as he rises, there are fewer and fewer shadows. And the shadows are shorter And there will come a day, Scripture tells us, where the full light of day will arrive and there is no more darkness. It will be a thing of the past. A light has dawned. That's what happened with Jesus' arrival. The light dawned. And so if if you're going through a hard time, just remember that you can trust that that light, Jesus, is rising in the sky more and more And one day he will rule in all the darkness and brokenness and everything that's hard in this life and in our world will be a thing of the past. We can trust that that's true. A light has dawned. My prayer as we celebrate Christmas is that uh, it would not be some detached remembrance, not just a sentimental routine, but that this would be a moment where we treasure in a new way what Mary treasured, the story of a God who held nothing back, who became one of us to prove his infinite love for us, to find his children and bring us home. A light has dawned. He came after us. I think part of the answer of treasuring this story is declaring it out loud is saying it, as we have done with worship, but saying it out loud, what God has done. And by the way, that's what Mary did. I I mentioned this earlier. After everything that was happening to her, she sang this song, Mary's song. It's right there in the Gospel of Luke. And it's about who God is and how he's acted in our world and how he is bringing light in a place of darkness. And so uh, we're going to close our service by reading Mary's song. And then we're going to sing a song together that our worship team actually wrote. They've uh, sung it a couple of times this month if you've been with us. Um, They've been reflecting on this story for the last couple of months and they wrote this song that's based on Mary's song. And so I want us to go into our Christmas celebrations on a note of worship because that is exactly what Mary did when she grasped the fullness of what God was going to do in her life and through his son Jesus. So let's read her song and then sing together. Would you actually stand and read this together? 
Luke reads in chapter 1, starting in verse 46. It says, And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. For now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. 